All right, so today um, we are going to uh, look at the book of Genesis um, because that's where you begin uh, Genesis, right? And we're just going to be going straight through through Genesis, um, uh, unless it gets boring. Um, then we'll, I'm just kidding. But, but I, I want to talk before we begin studying Genesis, before we begin going through the Old Testament, and I feel like this is, this is a little ridiculous, um, and, and I don't have to do this, but I just feel like so often when, we, when we're going to teach about something today, there's often like an apology uh, beforehand of like, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to talk about this rough subject. You know what I mean? Just like, and like, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's because of like the things that you know are going on in the church. And I'm going to talk about why, and I have to talk about why we're going to talk about the Old Testament, because I see and I hear so often this message that we don't need to study the Old Testament. It's the Old Covenant. It, we, like, that's all done away with. And that's not true. Those are lies. And whoever says that, you can't believe anything else that person says throughout their lifetime. Just so you know. But, but they say that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Covenant, because Testament means covenant. And it has to be done away with, they say. But if we look in Matthew 5, 17 through 19, to see what Jesus has to say on the matter, he says, Do not think that I came to do away with or undo the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you and most solemnly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass from the law until all things which it foreshadows are accomplished. So whoever breaks one of the least important of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least important in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches them, he will be called great in the kingdom of God. So when he says that I didn't come to do away with this, I came to fulfill it. The word he uses for fulfill is play rue. And it means fill up, fill up. And like, like when you would say, like, fill up my car. When you go and you say, fill up my car um, to whoever fills your car up nowadays, because no one really does that anymore. But you, you mean like, give me everything you can give me. Give me everything that it'll hold. Give me, give me everything. I want all of it. So he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. And, and that's when he's talking to the Jewish people here. And he knows, they know that he's talking about the law when he's speaking of the Old Testament. So, so they're getting this. And in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says in the Amplified Version, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. Man, we need some more moral courage today. But when he says, when, when Timothy, I almost called him 2 Timothy. When 2 Timothy, the 2 Timothy, when he says all scripture is profitable for instruction, for conviction, correction, and training in righteousness, he's actually talking about the Old Testament. Because he's not thinking that what he's writing right there, he's not like, what I'm writing right now is the most important thing. He's talking about the Old Testament. So he is saying, you need this. We need to study the Old Testament. It is profitable for instruction. The New Testament wasn't around then. Also, 50% of the statements in the New Testament are found in the Old Testament. Jesus says in John 5, 46, For if you believed and relied on the scriptures written by Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. 
personally. He wrote about me. That tells us, like, if we want to know God, and therefore we want to know Jesus, and we want to know his Holy Spirit, if we want to know him as, as well as we can, if we want to know all the, and we can't even know all the facets of God because he's so amazing, but if we want to know him more, then we need to study the Old Testament because it, it, it is writing about Jesus. It's written about Jesus. He's saying the Old Testament is about me. So we're going to study the Old Testament because there is so much to learn about God in it. And we're going to begin in the very beginning in Genesis. And one more, one more question I want to um, answer, or maybe, maybe I'll answer a few, but um, where did this book come from? Um, so the Ten Commandments are not the only thing Moses gets on Mount Sinai. He also receives from God the first five books of the Bible. Okay, so he's the writer of these first five books. So turn with me to Genesis 1.1. And um, just as I am prone to do, we are not going to get very far. We'll do Genesis 1.1 and maybe 1.2. Or 1.1b. So in Genesis 1.1, we might all be able to quote what it says, right? Let's say it together. Oh, cool. Good. I didn't expect that, but that was good. Uh, that was good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? I think sometimes we look at this like this is an introduction, right? Like, so he's saying, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what follows is a description of what happened there. And if we look at it like that, then there are some things that are a little confusing. But I think it, it, it almost seems like to us, we think of it like, okay, that's a short synopsis or a summary of what's happening in the verses that follow. But it is, in and of itself, a description of what happened prior to the work that follows. Okay? And we'll get into it. But we'll see when it says, oh, there's water. There's water on the face of the deep. And people say, why is there water on the face of the deep? Why is there water? He didn't create water yet. But what we're going to see is he creates, he takes this chaos and, and gives it order and then puts it all together. So it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and then in the verses that follow, he creates the systems and brings order to the earth. But I want to look real quick at this word create. The verb bara, that is, that is used for create, in Hebrew, it's used solely for God. And, and this verb is not just used in the tense of what he created at the beginning, but it's often used when this word bara, create, when it's talking about God creating, it's not just used for what he created in the past. It's also used for present and future activity. Like it all goes together. And, and then these, some of these other references, it's the same as transform. But the nuances of this word are referencing the new, the unexpected. I love this next part, the perturbing, the perturbing and the miraculous. Man, isn't that just like when God creates something new, which we want him, we're like, man, God creates something new in me. God creates something new in this world. At first sight, it's like, this is perturbing. This is perturbing. God, when I wanted you to create something, I had this idea of what I wanted you to make, and now you've made this thing, and I don't know what to do with this thing. So now I need to pray and find out what you want me to do with this thing. It's perturbing. And I, and man, that's just been my slogan. I, my, my slogan lately just been like, get comfortable. Are you uncomfortable? Get comfortable. Because that's where God wants us to be as we follow him in the uncomfortable. If we get comfortable in our faith, God's like, well, then you need to take this next step and get real uncomfortable so we can get comfortable in that, right? And, and that, so get comfortable in the perturbing and the miraculous. But that is what it's talking about when it's talking about God, when God creates something. It's talking about the miraculous, the new, the perturbing, the unexpected. And throughout the Bible, when this word is used, there's a constant stress on God's incomparability. And some other occurrences of this word are in Exodus 34.10, which says, Then God said, Behold, 
I'm going to make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do wondrous works, miracles, such as, not, such as have not been created or produced in all the earth, nor among any of the nations. And all the people among whom you live shall see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful and awesome thing that I am going to do with you. And when we look at this word create, we can't just look at it as like, oh, that's cool. That's something he said to them. He said he was going to do something. God speaks it to us. That create is ongoing. And he says to us, behold, behold, I'm about to do something that has not been created or produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations. And all the people among you, among whom you live, shall see the working of the Lord. Who wants that? Who wants that? I, 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 want, I want people to see the workings of the Lord, for it is a fearful and awesome thing that he is going to do with you. That, that word create, it wasn't about just then, it's about now and in the future. In Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right and steadfast spirit within me. And last but not least, in Isaiah 65.17, it says, Behold, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and the former things of life will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever over what I create. Behold, I'm creating Jerusalem to be a source of rejoicing and her people a joy. So this word create that's talking about in the future and in the past and in the present is talking about he created the, the, the earth, the foundations of the earth. He's creating in us a clean heart. He's creating miracles we have yet to see that the world has not seen. And he's creating a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. It's all happening presently. Then this God is creating with this same power that he created the world with. He didn't he did just create the world and then let it go and let it go to sit. He's constantly interacting. Isn't, it, isn't that so amazing that God is like that, that he created this earth, he created us, and then he constantly continues to create in us and continues to interact with us. And it's by the same power that he creates in us a clean heart, that he makes us new. It's the same power that, that he works miracles and awesome things that have not seen in all the earth, and he continues to create. It's not something he did, it's something he is doing. And that is something we have to get through our minds as we read this Bible. This is not something that he did. This is something that he is doing. This is something that he is doing. He created and he still creates. So this world, if you're looking for it, if you're following God, if you're expecting it, this world is still full of surprises. If you're walking through life and you're like, man, this is mundane. This is pretty boring. And if you start following God and doing everything he tells you to, you're going to start seeing some surprises, some things you did not expect. This life that we lead is fraught with the possibility of new beginnings. Fraught with the possibility of new beginnings as God continues to create. So what is God going to do next? And, and I want to live with that expectation. What is God going to do next? And so as we look at the Bible, let's see, what, what does God do next? Now it says, now the earth was formless and empty or void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now this brings us back to that explanation of the first verse. Um, about the water when they say, how is there earth and water if God hasn't created anything yet? But he did. He, he created the heavens and the earth, but it's, but it's a chaotic. It's a wasteland without order, okay? It's just like the, the basic structure, the outline. And now I have to, I have to point this out. Um, I recently saw a, a preacher um, 
say, he was like, now what does it not say there? He says, God created the heavens and the earth. What does it not say? That's right, hell. It doesn't say hell. So see, we have created hell in our minds. It's just like a, something we've created. And that pastor is going to find out that it's real. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I mean, look, we've got to know. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. That's not something we want. But I'm just saying, we, we have to kind of, I'm, I'm talking about it because I think we need to be on guard from things that, that might sound wise that aren't actually in the scripture. Because if you look at the things Jesus talks about a lot, he talks about money and he talks about hell. Okay? And, like, just warning you, at some time we're going to have a, a, a sermon or a series on hell. Okay? Just because that's, you scare people when you get them saved. And then, no, I'm just kidding, but that's kind of what, I mean, they used to do that a lot, and so we've kind of shied away from talking about hell. But you see later, Paul says, uh, he goes to talk about it, and he's like, but these are foundational things. These are foundational things. Moving on. And I think, well, these are foundational things, but there's so many foundational things we don't talk about. If this is something foundational for them, if this is foundational for God's people, then it needs to be foundational in us. Okay, so I never took this to be like when he's saying he created the heavens and the earth, that he created heaven and earth. Okay, he's talking, he's talking about he made everything. Okay, so just had to throw that out there real quick. So this, this earth is a, it's chaotic, a wasteland without order. And the first three days, it's kind of split up. The first three days are, are, when, the, um, are when these elements of the chaos, and we're going to get into it as we go along, are brought under control. The, the elements of this chaos are brought under control. And the second three days are when the newly emerged cosmos is organized and fill out, filled out in corresponding order. And when I say chaos, just throwing this out there too, I'm not talking about the Big Bang, okay? Just so you know. Um, but but he, he's very organized. I mean, he's God. Um, and so, so it's very um, organized. But let's go back to this verse. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I want to kind of get a visual of what this is like, what this was. Uh, the earth is without form and void. And the Spirit was hovering over the waters. I want to get this picture in our minds because this is not peaceful. This is not, people like, oh, the earth is without, it's, it's without form and void. I would have loved to sit in that darkness and just rested to the sound of the beach. That's not what we're looking at. We're looking at, at, at a world, and you can turn the waves off. It's without form and void, but you can leave it dark for a minute. Okay, the Hebrew phrase is tohu wabohu. And bohu's not found anywhere else on its own, but tohu is found a number of times, and it has the physical meaning of desert or wasteland, but the proper association of the word throughout Scripture is considered to be like chaos. So this is like chaos, wasteland, desolation, disorder, confusion. And then we have the dark waters of the great deep. And sometimes the word abyss is subbed in, right? And, and it's not exactly the same thing the same thing because abyss hints at like bottomlessness right we think of this bottomless water but the deep to the hebrews hints at something else entirely 
The actual word of deep is to home. Um, and you don't need to memorize these words, to home or tohu wabohu. Um, but what you need to understand about this phrase is that it's hinting at something entirely different than what we think of when we think of without form and void. It's not quiet and peaceful and restful. It's chaotic. It's crazy. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I don't know if you've ever been out on the ocean at night in a storm like I have <laughs> back when I was a crab fisherman. But it's scary, the darkness and the deep. It's something that we cannot, we can't subdue it. We can't control it. And, and, and this, is what, this is what is being pictured here, right? This picture is menacing and it's frightening. To the Hebrews, water, the deep, it represented the mysterious, the unknown. It represented a powerful force that could not be subdued. It was almost always something that had to be overcome. It was something, a powerful force that could not be subdued, that had to be overcome, that was much too powerful to be overcome by the hands of man. And this is the picture we need to see in our heads because this is the picture that's being invoked. This is a wasteland of unconquerable power. If you think of uh, the Israelites when they had to cross the Red Sea, it was something that had to be overcome. It was standing in their way. They, it was actually, it would have been easier for them to turn around and fight the Egyptians than it would have been to go through the water because they had no control. You can't, you can't walk through the water. They couldn't, they had, they had children that had to be carried. They had all the gold that the Egyptians had given them that they could not carry. It would have been easier to turn around and fight. I always say, man, I'd rather be like killed by like a lion on land than an alligator or a shark in the water because I just feel out of my element. I feel out of control. You get to a place where your feet can't touch the ground and you just feel like you just maybe everyone else is like, oh, I feel free in that moment. But I don't. I'm terrified. The, the, the most terrifying thing for me was when I read Paul is like he's, he's like holding on to a piece of wood in the ocean. And I'm like, that sounds awful. At night, I would just like let go. Not that I'm, I'm for that type of thing, but like I would, I, that'd be like, I'd just be like shaking the whole time. I'd be so terrified. And also again, when they have to cross into the promised land, they have to cross the river Jordan. It's something that can, they cannot control, something they cannot do. It's difficult. You don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, all, all you parents in here, how many of you on the Oregon Trail decided to ford the river or float the raft across? And there was no guaranteed way to do it. You could float it perfectly and you still, all your people died. Or you could, you could ford the river and still your people died. And you're just like, what? There's, there's no, it's just random. And this is what we're looking at. This is what this means to the Hebrew when it talks about the deep. This is, this is a terrifying, terrifying picture of complete darkness and chaos and a power that could not be controlled. It's something that's scary. It's something that stands in the way. But, but, <laughs> but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And this is how it's read, because we look at it and we see a description of the earth and we're like, cool, blackness, waves, and the Spirit of God is just hovering in some brooding, 
You just picture like some teenager that's like, whenever you're ready to move, God, uh, just tell me what to do. I just don't like that word brooding to describe it. But we just picture this peaceful, serene little picture, right? But to the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, it's like, man, there is this power that cannot be controlled. There's this power that is fearful. But then, but then the spirit of God is hovering over the waters. God is about to send a power that's far more powerful, that is about going to subdue the scariest thing to man. You can turn the lights back on. Uh, Tom, thank you. The Spirit of God, and everyone's like, eyes are adjusting. Oh, well, that was a long time. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And some interpretations say and, and it comes across like a description. You know, and there's the waves and there's darkness and there's the Spirit, but it's not. It's a but. It's a powerful but. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God, above the chaos, God himself is active. He's active. Above this power, above this uncertainty, above the most terrifying thing to the Hebrews, God is active. And he's about to send life down and challenge the power of the deep, whatever power. It's not powerful to him, but we kind of think of it as a, as a powerful thing, something that seems powerful to us. But he's about to conquer it with an even greater power. And, and the word actually that is actually denotes um, the spirit hovering over the waters. It's actually a word that like is describing movement and it's describing energy. And it's, the context is a violent one. It's a violent movement, right? The word translated as hovering is actually more like soaring, wheeling, or swooping, right? And I like was trying to picture like, how can I illustrate that? But I just figure if I'm just like, ah! Ah, like people will be like, that's not really good. But you got a picture like a powerful bird, like an eagle, like a hawk, right? Wheeling and swooping and soaring. This powerful, this powerful force that cannot be contained, that's ready to go, that is moving violently. Which that's funny because we hear him described that way at Pentecost. It's like a violent wind, a violent wind, a powerful force. And this is the picture we need to picture when we see the Holy Spirit, because it's but a sentence, but this introduction to the Holy Spirit is what we need to picture when we picture the Holy Spirit. Because we picture a comforter, and we just picture like, you know, this, this like spirit who's like, come here, come on, bring it in, bring it in. I know we're having a rough time, come here. But our comfort doesn't just come from a spirit hug. It comes from knowing the power of the living God. And it comes from knowing that his Holy Spirit lives in us. And it doesn't come from like, well, I feel good right now. It comes from, oh, that is a dark and powerful force. There's some darkness in the world right now. But you know what? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And God is constantly creating something new. So what is God creating right now? Because there's no force that can subdue him. And when he speaks, everything's about to move. When he speaks, the Holy Spirit is just sitting there waiting to say, give me the command. Wheeling and soaring. Just saying, give me the command. I'm about to move. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to fulfill the work of the Lord. And we need to be the same way because that Holy Spirit lives in us. And it invokes that power and that desire that we walk and we say, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I'm ready. I'm wheeling. I'm swooping. I'm soaring. I'm ready. I am ready. There is no darkness that can challenge the power of the living God and the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Jesus said, I have to go so that I can send. Oh, just, just hold on. 
I have to go. I know you want me to stay, but I'm not. Because somebody, somebody's coming. Oh, I'm sending a gift. A, a gift. And he, let me just tell you about him. He was there at the beginning of time. And he, when he moves, it's violent. And it's powerful. And it cannot be stopped. And I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. Sorry, sorry, Peter. I'm just getting kind of lost here. But I'm excited about what you're about to experience when the Holy Spirit falls. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the picture of the Holy Spirit. It's like a rushing violent wind. It's the same power which no one can escape. No one can escape. Even the people you're praying for that just don't seem to be working, no one can escape the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that equipped the prophets to preach in the Old Testament. It's the same power that led the judges to lead Israel to war when they were outnumbered. And who feels outnumbered a little bit? But they still prevailed. It's the same power that was given at Pentecost. This image of this violent wind, it's not sitting and, and, and chilling, but wheeling and turning in anticipation, waiting for the command of the Lord, waiting for the word of the Lord. And it's the same spirit that is in us. It's the same spirit that's in us. Now, looking at this water, it may bring, back to, you, bring to mind another story in the Bible. We see, see a similar enactment of this. When Jesus he walks on the water, Right? The disciples are afraid. They're in the boat. They're in the thing that they've created that keeps them safe. They're in the thing that they've created that keeps them safe. They're in the thing that they've put their trust in. But even against the power of the water, they've lost their trust in the thing they've created. And they're afraid. And then Jesus walks out over the water. We all know the story. He walks out on the, on, on the water. And knowing what we know now about what the water represents, Jesus is walking across this demonstration of power. He is walking across the mysterious. He's walking across the unknown. He's walking across the powerful force that cannot be subdued. And then he invites Peter to do the same. He says, come on. They're like, this is crazy. This is crazy. The greatest minds of the time have gone into building this boat. The greatest minds of the time, the greatest workers that, that I put my trust in because I bought this boat from them, or I made it, my dad made this boat, can't compete with the water, and yet Jesus is on top of it, and he says, step out of what you've made, step out of what you know, step out of what you trust, and finally, walk over this, walk over it. Walk on top of it, because that's what I've come to do. I've come to bring you on top of it. You're not just going to swim. I'm not going to give you support to get through it and trudge through it. I'm telling you, I don't care how scary it is. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how violent it is. You don't know the violence of the Holy Spirit. Walk on top of it. Come on, walk on top of it. This is the picture that the Hebrews are seeing when they see the story of Peter. So what is going on in your life that cannot be subdued? And not just the little problems, but like the big ones. The, the things you've been praying about that it seems like God's not answering. What, what's going on? What can't be subdued? I mean, I, I'm telling you around, I, I got problems that are like, in my family, I've got problems that, that are like in the world. Like if you wake up and you, and you watch the news, which I don't do, you're just going to see trouble. 
and worry, right? You see the darkness. You see the power. You see the prevailing wind, right? And we have to think, and like the forces of evil, it just seems like they're so powerful. It seems like, man, there's no coming back from how far we've gotten, right? And sometimes you look at the person you're praying for and like, they've just gone too far. There's just no coming back. We need to, we need to like get into, into that phase where we just need to like save what we have. We need to get in that phase where we just save what we have, we store up, right? We need to, we need to just, we can't, we can't go attack this thing because there's just no, no power. If I go and talk about Jesus, then there's these things are like construed about me and it's just scary. It's just scary. And we don't know what will happen. And we feel like we have no control over it. Who feels like, man, you just have no control. And it seems like that God's lost control over it. Not to me, but to some people. It feels like God's lost control over that situation. Right? And we we wonder, we say, God, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? I want you to sit. I, I Seriously, I want to sit for a second, and I want everyone here to think of that situation in your life. I want you to think of it. Close your eyes. And don't try to come up with something yourself. Just, just have a moment with God. You and God, and I will be quiet for a second so you can. And say, God... What is it that's been causing me to worry? God, maybe I can't even identify that I'm worried, but what is taking my peace? What seems like it's never going to change? And maybe I haven't wanted to admit it, but what have I lost hope for? What have I given up on? What's just too hard? I still want you to keep your eyes closed. Forget about everybody else in this room. It's you and God. And when you think of that situation, big or small, in your family, in the world, anything at all, and put it in a sentence. But I want you to end that sentence with, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Lord, I've been praying for my family, and they just don't, I don't think they're ever going to believe in you. And the things they've said, I just think there's no coming back, and I don't know what to say, and I don't know what to pray, but the Spirit of God is hovering over my family. Lord, I don't know how to come back from what's happening in this world right now. Lord, there's so much depression, there's so much suicide, and we're seeing it in our youth, and it seems so hopeless, and I just cry out for them because of the hopelessness they feel, and I don't know what to do, but the Spirit of God is hovering over them. Lord, my prayer life seems stagnant, and, I, and I, I don't know that I hear you anymore, and I don't know how to hear you, and I just want to break through, and I don't know how, but the Spirit of God is hovering over that situation. The Spirit of God is hovering 
over that situation. You might be saying, like, man, he doesn't have a lot today. This is all he's got. He's just going to say this over and over again. But this is the truth we need to know. This is the truth you go home with. And we're not going any further than this because this is the power of the Holy Spirit. He is hovering over it all. And he's not just sitting there silently. He's swooping and he's wheeling. It's violent. You can almost feel the beating of the wings pushed down as the air just goes. He's just like, Lord, speak it. Lord, say it. Speak it and say it. I know you're faithful. I know you're going to say it. And when you do, I am going to move. And he will create in us a clean heart. And he will create something you've never seen in all the earth. And people will see it. And they will be astounded. That person, God doesn't work where the person that's a good person gets saved. God works where the prostitutes and the druggies get saved. And people said, I never thought I'd see the day. And the Holy Spirit says, I did because I was sitting on top of it the whole time. And I was getting ready to move. The Holy Spirit is getting ready to move. He is hovering over any situation in your life. Your family doesn't believe in God. You don't know how you'll pay the bills. You lost your job. Someone you love has cancer. Someone you love is dying. And the worst part is they have kids. Or when children are sick. And in those moments, what do we do? We say, God, how could you? God, how could you? We need to take the stance of, God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's the Holy Spirit doing? What's the Holy Spirit want to say? What's the Holy Spirit want to do in this? Because I know one thing. I know God is good. I know he's powerful. And I know the Holy Spirit is in us. And he's not just sitting idly. He's ready. He's ready. Are we ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for the Holy Spirit to have his way. In Deuteronomy 32, it's the same, it's the same verb and the same illustration that's used concerning the children of Israel. It says, He found him in a desert land, in the howling wasteland of a wilderness. He kept circling him. He took care of him. He protected him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle that protects its young that flutters over its young. He spreads out his wings and took them. He carried them in his arms. This is the same word that in here that's describing this eagle that is describing the Holy Spirit, an eagle that protects its young, that flutters over its young, that spreads out his wings and takes them. When they were in a wasteland, in a howling wasteland of a wilderness, what did he do? He kept circling them. He kept circling them. And when we think of something circling, we think of like vultures. And they're, what are they, they're circling death. They're circling, waiting for something to die. And that is what they do. But the living God, his Holy Spirit, circles something waiting to bring life. He's circling, waiting to bring life. He protects his young. He protects his nest. He spreads out his wings and he takes them and he carries them in his arms. He defends us and he cares for us. This is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, the same spirit that created and continues to create in us and around us. And we need to understand who this Holy Spirit is. He is powerful. Because when we look at the world, you, you shouldn't look at what's happening in the world right now or what's happening in your situation and think that you are outnumbered or overpowered by any means. That's a joke. You need to remember who this Holy Spirit is and who our God is. 
And there is nothing he can't do. There is nothing he can't do. No matter how many enemies you see, no matter the situation, God is stronger. And the Holy Spirit is circling, circling, waiting to bring life to it. Waiting to bring life to it. Every eye closed. And you don't have to raise your hand. Because God knows our hearts. But who here's got... Who's got something you've given up on? If we're being honest, if we're being honest, there's a lot of us here. I mean, I, you know, I'm a pastor and I'm up here talking. I don't know if you realize that, but I am. I've got things that I've given up on because I forget. And I just want, as a, as a body of Christ, I just want to say a prayer together. I just, I just, let's just lift our hands to heaven and say, Lord, I repent. I repent that I've forgotten who you are. I repent that I've forgotten what you can do, Lord. I've seen you move a thousand times. I've seen you move in my life. I've seen you do the miraculous. I've seen you take care of me. I've seen you work in my family. I was the druggie that people gave up on. Yeah, you did not. I've seen the miracle in my life. I've seen it in me, and yet still I forget who you are. And we just repent for forgetting who you are, Lord. And may we never forget again. May we give you the glory that is your due. May we know that our God, the living God, is a God of power and might that is creating something new in all the earth that no one can believe, Lord. And I don't want to be the, one of the people that see it and can't believe and that's astounded by what you've done, I want to be expectant and say, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? That's my God. That's how he does it. That's how he moves. He doesn't move any other way but in the miraculous and in the perturbing. Lord, and we repent for not believing you can do it. I just pray that you would build us up, Lord, that we can be strong. No matter what the situation looks like, we can say, man, it does look hopeless. I'll tell you what, but the Holy Spirit, he's circling this situation. And he's about to move. And when he moves... You're going to be astounded by what he does. And I want to walk in that face so when we say that, people are like, man, that person's crazy. And then when it happens, they say, man, that person knows something I don't know. And I want to know what they know. And we say, oh, did you get an introduction into the living God? Did you get an introduction to the Holy Spirit? Because let me tell you something, that's just the beginning for you. That's just the beginning. Lord, I just pray that you would do something new, Lord, in each of us. Create a new beginning, Lord. Create in me a pure heart. Create in me a believing heart, Lord. And I just pray that we never forget again who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.